Welcome once again to Equity Guru's Short and Sweet, where we distill our in-depth interviews into solid nuggets of gold, enabling you to drink down the cream of each conversation in one delectable five-minute gulp. In this week's three-part episode, we are drawing from the Jody Vance Experience, where Jody speaks with Brigadier Gold BRG.V, President, CEO, and Director, Ranjit Sunder. Jody also speaks with Predict Medics, PMED.C, CEO, Dr. Raul Kushwa. And finally, Jody spoke with EarthRenew, ERTH.C, CEO and Director, Keith Driver. Listen in. Part one. Junior Exploration gold companies, Brigadier Gold in particular, and we have the president and CEO, Ranjit Sender, with us. So when you deep dive into looking at a company, if someone's looking at Brigadier Gold right now and and sort of dissecting uh, whether or not it's worthy of their investment, what would you tell them to look for and what they might see in Brigadier Gold? Oh, most definitely the people. Uh, Look at myself. 30 years in the stock market mining business, uh, last 20 plus years in Asia. I've put a couple of mines into production. I have built and sold public companies and made shareholders money. That's me. But what I look for even more in a company like a mining exploration company is the technical side. We have Michelle Robinson in Mexico, 20 plus years there. Our asset, which we have, which we're pinning a lot of hopes to, which is developing quite well, she's had under her care for a decade. She's lived and breathed this asset. She's a Canadian QP, which is a qualified person, a UBC grad, and is extremely highly regarded in the sector in South America. What would I call the properties of the companies that are on either side of you that have hit fairly big? Uh, success stories. Uh, there you go. Success stories for shareholders who own their stock. Right. You know, both those companies were 20 to 30 cents, we'll say, earlier this year. And both those companies had some enormous success. And one went to $3 and one went to well over a dollar. Now they're over 100 to $150 million in market cap. And wow. You have our company in the middle at about a $15 million market cap. And that's what investors look for. So we're in the right place at, at the right time, and our approach is quite similar to theirs. They're exploring historical workings. Uh, pro- their projects have had no large-scale production, but small-scale production and a lot of underground work. Tell us about your expectations, projections, and, and any um, sort of findings that you've had to this point. Well, we're, we're going to repeat the success of our neighbors. I believe our project at the current stage is at the same stage they were at say eight months ago, but I I actually like our asset much better. So we're looking to repeat that and get 10, 15 times return for our shareholders, have them experience that beginning boom of valuation. Then of course we move on and we deal with larger companies, larger investors, but it's a retail investor story. And we're looking to repeat what our neighbors to the South and to the North have done in the last, well, have done during 2020. There are a lot of women who have felt that there was really not a lot of place for them in the investment world. And we're kind of broadening out at Equity Guru with more advice to to pull young, particularly women, into the investment circle. And as a former woman in sports, I often get asked, what was it like? Because you were the only or one of the only. And so women are are definitely ready, more than ready to get into it. But is there sort of a, a 101 um, basic 
piece of advice that maybe isn't just re regularly out there with your experience being so long, so many decades long in this industry? I'm always looking to get a free ride by, by getting in early. So get into something fresh, something early, something where the company is extremely responsive. And if you look back, you see they're moving fast. There's a lot of junior companies out there, like literally hundreds of them. So how, how do you as an investor, where do I put my thousand dollars? Well, pick the team, look at have they made shareholders money before? Do they have a reputation? Can I find them online? You can generally find out if someone has uh, been operating uncompliantly, we'll say, by a few Google searches. So basic due diligence on the person, the company, their speed, and if the company is responsive in asking your simple questions, great. When I come across something which I think looks good, I want to ask a couple of very simple questions generally, nothing technical. Right. If they don't reply to me, it's sort of a, a red flag. So if somebody were to send you a note today and say, what were the results today like, what would you respond? Specifically about today? I would say the results today were fantastic. How unfortunate we put them out on a day when gold was down $35. Um, you can't pick that. That would make sense to me as an investor. I would not feel as nervous as I was if only seeing the result and the market number, right? So when you look at the volume also, yeah, I believe fair. with Canada and the US today, we had our highest trading volume day ever. But for just as many people who sold, people said, those results are good. We want to own this company and what a great day for us to enter. Ranch, thank you so much for being part of the Jody Vance experience and, and helping us sort of inch our way out into the market and, and help people and educate people this way. Um, I hope we get an opportunity to chat again and certainly maybe one day in studio when we're on the other side of, of COVID-19. Thank you. That would be my pleasure. Thank you very much. Part two. And today we start with the COO and co-founder of Predict Medics, Dr. Rahul Kushwa is with us. Hello, doctor. Thanks for doing this. Hi, Jody. It's a pleasure. Let's start with you. What brought you to uh, Predict Medics? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> that, that's a great question. And uh, especially for a person like me, I mean, I really come from the academic world. So um, I was a professor at the University of Ottawa. I was a scientist with the National Research Council of Canada. And uh, we were doing a lot of work with uh, human health therapeutics, which is a bit extremely timely looking at the pandemic we are in. Uh, but clearly it got to a point where personally for me, uh, I guess the academic world was not exciting enough. I was looking for something else. I was looking for a bigger challenge. And uh, that's how uh, Predict Medics really started. When I first looked at what Predict Medics is, it is pretty mind-boggling. Like you're saying that within your company, the, the hope and the, the goal and, and the mission here, it covers so many bases. AI that can really identify uh, somebody who might be under the influence of alcohol or cannabis, now also infectious disease and maybe even mental illness. Can you explain how that works? Is it like a booth or something that you step into? So, uh, so the booth is the outside structure that you see. So booth is really retrofitted with multispectral cameras and a host of sensors. So a lot of data is being captured from individuals as they're walking through these booths. But the brain or the proprietary technology is the underlying AI algorithm. I mean, you can have all the data in this world, but you need some really smart algorithms to make the decision. 
And that's what we are doing at Predict Medics. So this isn't to replace a breathalyzer. This is to create an AI doorway that tells you what is happening in your workplace, in your environment. It can be in your airport, on your, on your cruise ship or what, whatever. It can tell you about a great deal about the person walking in. So this could be a big game changer. But how do you sell tech? from a marketing perspective, like where are you at with regard to um, accuracy or efficacy when it comes to this AI? So, uh, so one of the things I would say is, I mean, if you clearly look at the news that we have disseminated, we are working with a lot of Fortune 500 partners. And uh, clearly uh, with our impairment solution, we are in the commercialization phase. And if you look at the major factors which sort of lead to the issues in a workplace, I mean, of course, impairment is a massive one. The second one is infectious diseases. Think of the flu epidemic every year. You have one person coming in who has flu. Next thing you know, a lot of employees are infected. People are taking days off. And the productivity in a workplace setting is impacted. And the third one is mental health. So with these structures or these safe entry stations that we, are, uh, we have developed, uh, it's about sort of positioning in a way that, yeah, in a workplace, you put a safe entry station, but the underlying AI algorithms are all designed to make sure that everyone who's passing through these doors is not exhibiting, let's say, signs of impairment. They're not exhibiting uh, signs of infectious diseases or they're not suffering from mental health issues. How do, you how do you diagnose somebody with a mental health issue by way of AI? So, uh, so that, when it comes to that tool, so we are using a lot of visible imaging and as well as multispectral imaging. So think of it that when you're screening somebody, we are looking at their face from several different wavelengths. At the same time, we're using a lot of audio tools. So again, from a commercialization perspective, when it comes to our infectious disease symptom screening and our impairment solution, we are commercializing those solutions as we speak. But of course, when it comes to uh, mental health, there is still some more work that needs to go in there because as much as we are talking about the utility of the mental health solution or the workplace setting, it could also turn into a diagnostic tool. What, what are your challenges? Because, I mean, this all sounds amazing, but, I mean, things are really on quite a roll until July, and then since July, it's been difficult. COVID, obviously. But what's happened since sort of June, July for you? So uh, what I can say, for instance, is, I mean, today as I'm talking to you, uh, we have units, for instance, that are being shipped to, uh, to sites both in India and Canada. So, cool. And that's part of the reason that why I can say that when it comes to our infectious disease symptom screening technology and impairment technology, I mean, we are fully commercializing those solutions. Get down to the short strokes if somebody is thinking, I need this in my company. Mm. What, is the, what does the hard cost look like for somebody at the commercial stage? So the cost of scanning an individual boils down to a few cents per person. Uh, so again, so, uh, so the model that we have in place is it can be uh, a six-month term, 12-month, 24, 24 months, so on and so forth. Right. So there isn't a big upfront cost that anyone is dealing with. But huh. even after factoring in the cost of the hardware, it actually boils down to uh, first, I mean, a few cents for every individual that's being scanned. So when it comes to partnerships and, and uh, you know, obviously we're speaking to one another in Vancouver, or I shouldn't say obviously because people are just learning about us, but we are in British Columbia and Canada. Is, do you have global partnerships involved in PMED? Yes, we have partnerships all over the world. I mean, of course, we have partnerships in North America. We have partnerships in Europe. We have lots of partnerships in Asia with some Fortune 500 companies. And um, just last week, for instance, we announced a partnership with Paris Defense. Uh, they're one of the largest uh, defense companies in India. 
and uh, they are the registered vendor for every single government and uh, public department in India. When you talk about the government and the public sector infrastructure, everyone is looking for solutions that they can deploy to turn those environments into uh, more, of a, more safer environments where the likelihood of catching an infection is perhaps going to be a lot lower. So far, do you have happy investors, would you say? Let me just put it this way. If we take the stock value aside and we look at what we have accomplished at, at Predict Medics, I mean, I'm extremely happy about it. So for the new investor who might only have a limited amount of money, mm -hmm. uh, what would you tell them if they were saying, why this company? Why you? Again, so, so the key is the different verticals that we are in. So it's not about, okay, that, oh, are these guys developing one technology? What if that fails? What happens then? So that's where it, according to me, perhaps it's a bit more safer, if I can say, because there are multiple verticals and we are not talking about that we are doing R&D uh, with every single vertical, like with impairment and with infectious disease symptom technology. I mean, we are commercializing those solutions. Yes, we are doing R&D with our mental health solution, but that's again, one of the four verticals. And when it comes to our fourth vertical, which is remote patient monitoring, I mean, sometime in Q1, there, there is going to be that large-scale rollout and commercialization of our remote patient monitoring platform as well. Thanks for being with us, Doctor. Thanks, Jody. It was a complete pleasure. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Part three. And today we're really glad to have the CEO and director of Earth Renew. Uh, Keith Driver is with us. Hey, Keith. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to have you along here because, boy, I'm telling you, environmental technology Companies such as yours are certainly making a lot of noise in where we find ourselves right now. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept because I started off an environmental engineer by background. And so I thought, oh, you know, idealistic coming out of high school. And, and then you, you have this, I moved out to Calgary and you have this sort of uh, realization that it's not quite like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, 20 years later in your career, um, you end up in a position where you're, you actually get the chance to make uh, do something that's that's sort of back to where you wanted to go from, which was we've got this problem, we've got all this uh, manure and feedlots, and it's not really worth anything when it's in the feedlot. But if we can turn it into fertilizer, we take manure directly from the feedlot because we're co-located on the feedlot. We run it through our thermal treatment system, a dryer, and we then blend it with other uh, fertilizers to make really high value solutions. So otherwise we just produce another ingredient like compost, like anything else. But when we can blend it together into a granule, all of a sudden it's in a form that the farmer can use and put right into the seed row where they go. So we turn this sort of sloppy mess, we dry it down, we treat it to get rid of any of the contaminants that are in there. And then we use that to contain uh, something of real agronomic value. And all of a sudden, the doors open up. And is that fertilizer considered uh, organic? Yeah, so we're certified organic um, and we include uh, other organic soil amendments to, to make that pellet, that granule. I do think eventually we'll see some of the, the base carbon that we're adding. Uh, we're moving from organic as a certifying to this whole regenerative agriculture where, you know, agriculture is effectively mining of the soil. And so the more carbon we can put back at some point, you got to reinvest in that. You got to regenerate that field. That's where regenerative agriculture is really that holistic piece. And we, we find ourselves, you know, you're, you're, uh, you wake up one morning and realize you're timely. <laughs> so who is your customer? Our first customer is the, 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 
customer for whom the feedlot where we provide a manure management solution. So we get rid of that problem for them. The more important customer for us is the uh, fertilizer user. So the, the, the farmer is trying to build up that soil, trying to get the, the carbon. They're trying to get yield off their, their land and they're being sold any number of other items. And, and we're trying to take all of the things that they're being sold and told they need to do and put them together into one solution. So Earth Renew goes in with the seed at the same time, one pass. It can. Yeah. Uh, some people put it in the fall, um, but it's sort of one application. So it's oh, either yeah. one application in the spring, one application in the fall um, and, and multiple ingredients together, as opposed to having to, to spread lots of stuff out over big acres. Most farmers will have a program where they're rotating their crops and they're putting certain inputs on certain fields at any given time. And the challenge with that is a lot of, particularly the commercial products, have a really short window in which they're effective. So you have to put it on that field that year, every year. Right. And if you're trying to build back the soil, you got to have something that lasts more than the year. And that's where Earth Renew can, can sort of play where it's uh, our testing has shown it's got multiple years of benefit. You, you talk specifically about Alberta. Is this, is your product crossing provincial lines, state lines? Is it in an international product at, in the end game? U.S. for sure. And we're, we're certified in the U.S. for fertilizers and we're uh, uh, moving product across, uh, across the border. Um, the big market for us, obviously, California, biggest organic crops, three, four crops a year cycles. Um, but then you've also got the, the large, uh, you know, wheat, hemp, uh, potatoes, organic that are being done out here. Uh, and that market segment's growing. How about the process? Like, where do you make this in the plant itself? What's your overhead like? We take the waste heat that's coming off of natural gas generated electricity. And we, as opposed to that going up the stack and it not being used, we take that into our dryer. In our case, we have a four megawatt Royals Royce you know, power generating station that we're right beside. We take the waste heat right off of that. Wow. So it's free to us. We can dry the manure down and control that. We get the electricity behind the fence for cheap because we doesn't have to go onto the grid and get moved everywhere. So that's good. And so we end up being able to dry this product for cheap, which, which allows us to extract more real margin out of this thing. Before I let you go, I want to ask you, what does your typical day look like? Uh, at this point, it's a lot of awareness. We're, we're building some partnerships on the marketing side. Uh, we're learning a ton from farmers. If you're going to provide a solution to farmers, you better spend an awful lot of time listening to farmers. And then, uh, uh, it's a mix of, of finance and engineering. And I come at it from an engineering background. So I, I obviously enjoy that part of the business and building these products. And then I've got a, a lovely uh, a partner, our, our Carrie, our, our COO, and she's sort of the marketing and, and products genius. And, and so I spend a bit of time enabling her to be able to run uh, a lot of that. Thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you very much for the time. Take care. Peace. Thanks for joining us on Short and Sweet. See you next week.